Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza, Googling 2023 NCAA tournament sites. Chris Anderson, Chris, are you ready to foot the bill for a road trip to Greensboro, Columbus, Sacramento, Mountaineers are in, right? <laughs> I, I think I think this does it. But uh, as far as the budget goes, we might have to uh, incorporate the same radius that uh, the football team does. You know, three hundred miles, car only. Mm. Um, Sacramento's a rough one, <laughs> but but Maryland. I mean, that, that in if you're looking at the same one I am with uh, Lenardi, it's Sacramento. It's the West Region, but you get Maryland in the first round, which I think a lot of fans would enjoy. Oh, would it be like a seven ten? Yeah, yeah. I don't, man. I don't want to get too far ahead, but if you're a two seed and you draw Maryland or West Virginia, you're probably not happy. No, because I don't know if I mean I've watched a little bit of Maryland lately. They play hellacious defense, and I think we know West Virginia's reputation too. Um, yeah, Birmingham, Des Moines. Why not Des Moines, Chris? Des Moines's been good. Orlando, Sacramento, Albany, Columbus, Denver, Greensboro. Nice as journey. long as it's as long as it's not Cleveland. Hey, ever ever tell you that story? Go I mean, on. you were the, you were there at, at the game. Um, that was it was in Cleveland. Is the hotel swap. The and no, this was the one where I was I was living in Cleveland. Oh, okay. And so, but you weren't with us yet. So I think you were there with the paper, and I was going for the site, and I and dozens dozens of others well originally i i eventually got moved to press row ish area uh right on the court but for people and this was when so notre dame was there and but i specifically remember and i'm sorry for our, our midwest folks out there but you said des moines and i immediately thought of wichita state which is not des moines it is not iowa but um wichita state was in that bracket and or in that little quad and they were playing in the games and there were guys who traveled from Des Moines or from Wichita State and they were talking about how you know getting from Wichita State to Cleveland cost them thousands of dollars because there was it was not a it was not a drive there was no direct flight 
hotels are expensive, all this stuff. And then I don't know if you knew this because you had your cushy longtime veteran of the media seat. Mm-hmm. But I think like a third or more of people who were approved for media credentials did not get a seat in the stadium and had to sit in the concourse in the back where we all like worked and ate lunch and they just put a screen up there for them to watch. So they spent thousands of dollars, took out four or five, six days of their life to go up to Cleveland to sit in the back and watch it on a TV screen. Oh, man. I was like, that's brutal. Kentucky brutal. was there too, right? Yeah, that was the that was the famous or not so famous, infamous Kentucky game. I, I absolutely remember when the brackets came out, people were looking toward that second weekend and saying, okay, who could be where? And then people are like, there are going to be a ton of fan bases descending upon Cleveland if that happens. And there was something else going on at that time. I can't remember in town. And it was really hard to find hotels. And I remember that there were two media hotels and people were checking into the one that was very convenient and then being like, we're going to need you to get on this bus and take you to another one that's not quite as convenient. And if I remember correctly, it was still a Marriott property, so people weren't too mad about it. But like, it wasn't like full scale Marriott. And, and sports writers, if you're not familiar, sports writers and Marriott points are, I mean, they're as close to a sports writer and a spouse during the peak travel times because you bank a lot of that stuff and you get all the perks like the uh, continental breakfast and the late checkouts and you know all these, um, you know, eventually points for free rooms and vacations and all that. And people were really mad about that. And I'll say this: like, people will say what they want to say about the NCAA. They usually do a tremendous job in that tournament when it comes to accommodations and hospitality and make sure you can get from one spot to another and making it fast. And like, I remember that one just being like an absolute nightmare and uh, which hurts my heart because Cleveland is, I mean, only one of the best cities in the world. We'll go on here. Uh, West Virginia in a pretty friendly city last night, Ames, Iowa, suddenly hospitable. And Chris, a game they had to win a game. They really could have lost a game. They tried to win the game that the other team, I think tried to win, but also uh, it, it seemed to me at some point, and then we might just get into this right here. It seemed to me at some point that Iowa State stood there on the floor at Hilton Coliseum and rubbed its eyes and said, "Will you guys stop? Like, just give up, quit, please." And and West Virginia did not, would not, could not, and here they are, right side of the bubble, trending up. Um, I I do think that they're in, probably absent another win, which you know. 92, 96 hours ago, we were saying Bob Huggins is crazy for saying something like that. But here we are. One game changes that much. But uh, certainly not so safe that they should consider going 0-2. But there is a bit of house money feeling about what happens now because they got a win that was impressive and improbable all at once Monday night. Yeah, I think you know we've been talking about a lot of the metrics and all these different things with West Virginia and why they are or should be on the bubble or on the right side of the bubble. Um and one of the things they were kind of lacking was quad one road wins. Here you go. There's one right there. That was not an easy place. That place seemed like, and again, I'm watching from afar. So maybe like if you're there in person, it didn't seem like it, but it sure seems like that place was rocking mm-hmm. last night. Uh, senior night festivities, crowd was going wild. That place is always tough to play in. And yeah, I think after, I don't know if it was right as soon as Mitchell got ejected or maybe it might have been. It might have been right around that time where I started basically writing a eulogy on not only the game, but the season maybe, or at least West Virginia's NCAA tournament hopes. And I I can't get over that 
Trey Mitchell elbowed someone in the face. He got called for a technical, a flagrant, got ejected. And West Virginia ended up plus five from the situation on the scoreboard. Can we revisit this? Yeah, I mean, I think this is like the most pivotal, like little, you know, one minute of game time of the season. Number one, and you might want to check with some officiating friends and family viewers. How the heck did West Virginia get the ball out of that? It's an offensive foul, right? It's a flagrant two. It's an ejection. I I just, I don't know if I doubt it was a screw up, but I was having a hard time understanding how the team that committed a flagrant offense, i.e. a turnover, because it's an offensive foul, somehow got possession back. Uh, Two technicals against Iowa State led to two free throws for West Virginia. Um, Iowa State gets to go up, shoot flagrants, doesn't get it. Um, West Virginia gets to shoot technicals, gets it. Um, and then just the whole adjudication. I'm how did Mitchell get a technical? Did he get a technical? So no, it was it was it was Grill and Kunch who got technicals for Iowa State. Mitchell just got the flagrant two in, an, in a personal in an ejection. So what they did was they called a yeah they called they called an offensive turnover and a technical as a dead ball technical. And I believe when there's dead ball techs on both teams. It goes back to the jump ball arrow, and I'm double checking here. I'm trying to see if it says it in the in the book here. Um, you know whose turn it was, but it might have just been West Virginia's turn on the alternating possession of the of the it jump ball been. arrow. Okay, okay. So that's that's my assumption there, because yeah, I was confused at first because it, it's not one of those situations where oh, Iowa State got called for two and West Virginia only got called for one, so it doesn't that doesn't matter. I think it was. Since there were dead ball techs on both teams, it goes to a jump ball situation, and it was West Virginia's possession arrow. Okay. Uh, the play-by-play has an offensive um, turnover by Mitchell. That's the elbow. On a personal foul, that's the offensive foul. And then it has a contact dead ball technical foul on Mitchell. That's actually the flagrant two. What did you think about the two on Iowa State? Because you got elbow in the face. I think you got to get some wiggle room from somebody, but – and I think maybe because there was so much time left in the game that appeared to be escalating, the officials just said, "No extracurriculars here. We're gonna we're gonna be proactive and also reactive here." And they gave uh, Jazz Kunch the technical for kind of kicking at Mitchell's legs, and they gave Caleb mm-hmm. Grill one for, I mean, really, I mean, yeah, he comes in aggressively. He doesn't do a whole lot, but he gets a technical foul. Um, didn't really factor into a whole lot of things, but it just seemed to me that that was an odd moment there. And again momentum really swings because Mitchell's out, but then it swings right back because West Virginia goes plus five on the possession. Yeah. The, the two technicals on them, I think, I mean, West Virginia's was pretty obvious. And I don't think, I think they made the right call. I think it was a flagrant two, um, in part because it was to the head, which they make an emphasis of. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't see the Kuntz tech at first. And then I saw somebody, replay it and again once you start watching things in slow-mo it you really things really stand out to you and he kind of at first the legs just get tangled up and that is what it is that's just going to happen but then he kind of kicks up with his foot like almost towards mitchell's groin and that's what uh sent mitchell off again like oh you know he kind of you know bucked at him a little bit like leaned at him and uh and then yeah grill coming in and, and shoving like that's the what do you they have a term for it. I mean, it's, I guess it's escalation. Like they, he was kind of escalated it, and 
they were both kind of meh in my mind, but it only needed one for it to be West Virginia's possession anyway. So it is what it is. But yeah, that was, I mean, it, it was a six point game. And if they don't get those texts, it should have been two free throws, could have made it an eight point game and their ball. And instead, they get those two texts. They miss both free throws. Toussaint hits both free throws. And then a three from Seth Wilson, all within four seconds. Because, yeah, the, the texts happened at 1044, and Wilson's three goes in at 1040. Just like that. Bang. One point game. It, it was kind of like a jailbreak. Like, the, people realized the door was open and get out, get out, get out. And West Virginia was like, wait a minute, there's there's an opening here. Let's go. And Wilson got that ball and he hot potato that thing. <laughs> it barely touched his palms and it went up in, in a weird, like typical Seth Wilson, awkward yet makeable form. And, and it goes in. And here's the weird part, Chris. They go from down six to down one. They're down seven, two minutes yes. later. Um, and that was that was impressive by Iowa State, I thought. But again, West Virginia just was not going to to let that one go easily. What happened in that subsequent back and forth? Yeah, I'm I, like I'm glad you brought that up because that's it, it, there. So much happened, and so much back and forth, and so many different points here where you're like, "Well, that's it for West Virginia." That I think people forget that it wasn't just back to one, and then it was a close game from there on out. Because Iowa State, yeah, pulled right back away, got a couple free throws. They they not only got up seven, but then they forced a turnover from West Virginia, and they missed a layup. Mm-hmm. That would have made it nine. And then they missed a wide open three on the offensive rebound that would have made it, that could have made it 10 instead of nine and missed both of them. And, yeah. and then they come back down. Uh, Kobe Johnson gets, uh, I believe, was that an and one? Right. And, and all of a sudden it's starting to swing back the other way and it, it kind of goes back and forth, you know, punch for punch from there on out. So it goes from six to one on the, the flagrants. Iowa State gets it to six, West Virginia gets it to one, then Iowa State gets it to seven, and you're right. They have a free throw, excuse me, a layup, and then that three by Koontz looked like it was on. And I, I don't think it's any stretch to say they probably call a timeout there at like at the under eight. You're in danger there, but they miss. Kobe Johnson gets the rebound. He goes the other way. Here's a guy that doesn't shoot, and he gets an in one. And like, I mean, that's that's how much things change from up 10 to up four. And then from then, you know, they were in the jungle the rest of the game. That was that was pretty contentious. And then which leads me to this, Chris, to to say they needed this game and they can take something from it. Yeah, that's obvious. There are so many unique parts of this game that I think are almost as kind of, you know, you just put on the shelf and be like, okay, like a bad game. You just kind of put, you know, in the dumpster and you say, forget about it. This one's so strange. I don't know. You can feel great about it. But like, how much this do you retrieve? For example, uh, are you going small with Emmett Matthews as your center for significant periods on purpose ever again? Probably not. But this is- that lineup was so good offensively and defensively. They were able to press. They moved the ball. They cut. They had energy. All five positions were moving. That that was, me to me, highly influential in the outcome. Just having to, but also learning to use that lineup on the fly. Yeah, a, a brilliant move from Huggins. I think he kind of got forced into a little bit. He, well, at first he tried to, he tried to make it work with Pat Sumnick and with Trey Mitchell. And then of course Mitchell gets thrown out of the game. So then you're just looking at Sumnick or still trying to get Jimmy Bell out there. And I think he finally was just like, nope, we we got to go the other way. I'm I, 
I'm not fighting it anymore and went small and it worked right. It was, it was the key to that team coming back, but I don't think this is going to be something you're going to see a ton of moving no. forward. You might see it in spurts. It reminds me of in one sense when they started the trapping of the hard trap on the ball screens. Uh, that was TCU the first time, right? Mm-hmm. The, the first time through. And I said after the game, I even draw on my little whiteboard uh, with that crude video I put together that, you know, this works great, but it kind of caught TCU off guard and threw them off and they weren't able to adjust on the fly. That's what happened last night. The problem is once you have a few days to game plan for that, it can be exploited. And I think it was the next game was Texas maybe. And they exploited the heck out of West Virginia's attempts to, you know, double those ball screens. And if West Virginia tries to go small like that for long stretches again, teams are going to be ready for it now. Like this might, I don't want to say it's a one-time only thing, but it might be something you only see for like a couple minutes at a time if West Virginia is in desperation mode moving forward. It's a matchup thing for sure. If they see Iowa State in the tournament again, perhaps, I mean, they've done, they could do something similar against other teams. Texas comes to mind. Um, and I really wonder if it's within them, but they hadn't done it or hadn't had to or hadn't wanted to or hadn't needed to. Well, now they had to, wanted to, needed to. And you saw something with it. So, again, could it be in the Big 12 tournament? Could it be, I know, I don't know, maybe it's a mid-major team in the second round that doesn't have a big. Maybe there's foul trouble on the other team. Maybe it's a scramble at the end of a half or something like that where you can just throw a monkey wrench in it and try to get away, steal a possession or two with something that's a little bit different. Um, that's a positive for me. Let's talk about just the overall welfare of the program for this win and what it means because they they really did need this. I just I think it's kind of a fairy tale to say that they could go 0-2 Iowa State, Kansas State, and then one expect to do much damage in the Big 12 tournament, likely as the a 9 or 10 seed maybe, but also get in the tournament. Now, this is a big chip for them. It's a quad one win. It's a quad 1A win, Chris. It's a quad one road win. Their net is up. They are higher than the first place team in the ACC. This and this and this. You can make a much easier case for them, but also... I really believe that they believe after this game, and it's a lot of a lot of things we've said before. They can talk the talk sometimes; they don't often walk the walk, but they certainly believe they're good enough. And just the the galvanizing way that they won this one again, maybe in unique fashion that you never retrieve again. It doesn't mean it didn't happen, and this is a way for this team to really pop its chest. And I would anticipate coming home to a pretty juice coliseum on Saturday for who knows what, but. Never mind without the win what matters, but like if they don't have this swagger, this bravado, they're not the same team. I would imagine that is more important than anything that you could do for the net, the RPI, Kempom, whatever metric else you can come up with. I'm with you. It, we talked about it before the weekend even started that it just seemed like this Iowa State game was one you circle as a potential schedule loss. And I felt even stronger about that, given that um, the big the big four, if you will, for West Virginia's starting five played an average of 37 minutes on Saturday afternoon against the number three team in the nation. And then kind of had their heart broken. Like maybe that's a little strong, but you know, had a chance there at the end and didn't get it. I thought Monday was going to be, I thought last night was going to be brutal. I thought West Virginia is going to really struggle and they didn't. And again, they kind of got punched in the punched in the mouth a few times and they punched right back. And that was, I'm with you. I think this whole stretch, these last 72 hours, now they're probably sleeping right now. We're recording this on Tuesday at 930. They probably got back at, what, 4 a.m. 
I hope they're in class. Yeah, well, maybe they get an excused absence here because they got to be exhausted after this road trip and and they needed it, but it may have boosted their confidence. And you know, one person who I feel like has changed over these last couple games, especially especially after last night. Oh, uh, I'm very interested in your answer here. Uh, I don't know if we're getting Spanish Emmett Matthews, but in in I'm going to tell the people who are listening to this because I I cannot repeat what was what was tweeted, and 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 all that. But if you are over the age of 13, maybe go check out Emmett Matthews' Twitter timeline. Yeah, and, and I mean he's he's ready. He's amped up right now angry and it was happening during the game he was dunking on people he blocked two shots i mean here's this stretch right here with 210 left in the game west virginia's down one he makes the free throws to take the lead on the other end on the very next possession he gets the defensive rebound over their iowa state center comes back to the other end dunks to make west virginia's lead three and then back on the other end blocks what would have been a layup to cut it back to one then blocks after the offensive rebound by Iowa State on the inbounds another shot that would have cut it back to one and then Kobe Johnson gets the rebound like that changed the game right there and he was so amped up about it he was like it's just one of those things it's it's one of those things that I think a lot of fans have been asking for from him like where give me the emotion give me the energy give me the cutting Give me the rebounding. You can do it all. And it almost felt like you're watching the way he's reacting, screaming, pumping his chest, uh, you know, chest bumping with teammates and getting excited, cursing and screaming after the game and tweeting and all this stuff. And you're watching it almost like uh, Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. Like, yes, yes. Let the hate flow through you. Let it go, Emmett. And if he gives that kind of energy, that kind of almost anger, like he's a different player and West Virginia is a different team. And had to have it too. Like they don't win that without him playing that position at the level he did. And uh, the, just very important too um, for the game for him. Plus minus a two. They win by three. Um, I was surprised to see that because I, I mean, he played, let me see here. Yeah, he played 36 minutes. So he's in there for a lot of the ups and downs. The most minutes on the team, actually. Um, I was wondering where his plus minus would be. And I was like, it's probably going to be significant because you know he he played such a, a large role but he was in there through all that stuff in so many different roles but i think him and his response kind of personifies the team where like i don't know like a like a boxer a fighter gets to the corner and like the corner guys is just like hey come out of that snap out of it you're getting hit you're getting kicked you're getting pushed you know do something and then finally it just happens and like all of a sudden you hear the rocky music and the bells and all that stuff and now you're slugging back and you're going back and forth and you realize you can actually win this thing. There's still a couple rounds left, but like I, th- I do think that they they probably believe they position themselves as like a real sleeper for Kansas City. And you know, roll the dice. You get you got a bid now. Go see what happens. Um, again, still has some work to do. I think they probably shouldn't go zero and two the rest of the way. But I don't I don't think that they believe they're going to go zero and two the rest of the way here. Um, going to this one, Chris. Before we go, magic wand time. Jimmy Bell continues to kind of scuffle. He took a shot. That's more than he did last game. Um, but I did not notice this. Apparently, this was true also Saturday. His right hamstring is really taped and wrapped. And that's not a guy whose mobility is his strength anyways. But he's not moving well. And I would imagine he's kind of laboring because of that. Trey Mitchell has a good run of play before this game. But also, I don't know if you just call this a one-off and go. But he wasn't good before he got ejected. 
Um, the bench was better tonight, but it's really consolidated to just one player when you look at all the, the points, and that Joe Toussaint mattered. Um, what has to be right so they can win Saturday and be on the right side of this conversation going to Kansas City? Because I don't think they want to go to Kansas City without Monday night meaning as much as it might mean if they do, in fact, follow through and win again on Saturday. Well, the, the, do we want to say health? Because, yeah, I mean, if Jimmy Bell's got a bad hamstring, uh, James Conquo's got a bad ankle now, uh, Mo Wagi apparently, I mean, not apparently, I saw it myself, also posted on his Instagram about a stress fracture to his foot that's not been confirmed by anybody at school, just that he's out indefinitely. Uh, all of a sudden, yeah, you, you know, you're down to where you were last night, where you're, you're looking at Trey, who, uh, what was the stat I said? Uh, yeah, he played 25 minutes and he had more fouls and turnovers, combined six, than he did points, rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals combined. Ooh. Like that's that's not good. Um, that's not advanced metrics. That's just common sense. Um, and yeah, you look at the plus minuses. Trey Mitchell minus 13, mm-hmm. Jimmy Bell minus nine, everyone else on the team positive. Incredible in a three-point right? three game. Yeah. Um, so really honestly, and it's not just limited to them being healthy, the bigs being healthy and getting right. Um, also like Kedrian Johnson, like I know he I know he gets, you know, a lot of crap from the fans. And and, and Huggins defends him. I mean, Huggins has said numerous times that he believes Kedrian Johnson is the best point guard in the Big 12. I think that's a bit much, but it's it's just him showing that he believes in Kedrian Johnson. And if you want to talk about it, you know, how big of an impact does he have or doesn't have? Like, just look at last night. He he was out for a stretch there because he got hurt. He got banged up pretty good. He is plus 14. West Virginia was plus 14 when he was on the court in a three-point game, minus 11 when he's off. And, and it, it was only like – and most of that came – when did I put that? I'm trying to remember when I posted that. It was right before they Iowa State hit a three, but it was some. It was earlier in the game, which made it even more impactful. Was he was plus two or plus eleven, and the team was minus twelve, and it was only like the first few minutes of the second half. And it's like West Virginia is falling apart when Kedrian Johnson is not on the floor. You may think he turns it over too much. You may think sometimes he he fouls too much, or he gets beat off the dribble. But for whatever reason, this has been pretty consistent throughout the year that West Virginia is, as a team, is better when he is on the court than when he's not. I was, I mean, he he probably, hmm, he was not very good on Saturday, but to hear Bill Self talk about just from an opposing coach's perspective, how much different he makes their team on a game where he was not good. Uh, fourth time in school history, a player has had no assists and eight turnovers. Uh, Will Robinson, Chris Moss, Lionel Armstead, Kedrian Johnson. That's quite a Rushmore, right? But to hear Self talk about what he does to passing lanes and how they overplay with him and how he's so fast on defense and on offense that he gives them another gear that they don't have without him. You're like, okay, I guess that was a bad game. Um, And it was, but you're looking tonight, plus 14, 29 minutes, but let me see here. We go, uh, yeah, eight points. Okay, here, my first for a second. Eight points. Four rebounds, five assists, two steals, just one turnover. And I think just his presence, availability, 
was his best ability there. And then what maybe gives you hope for Trey Mitchell because he'd been so good and then had that blip on the radar last night. Tucson, prominently involved in the finish uh, Saturday and then indispensable performance contributions on Monday. Um, makes a bunch of threes. He started three for three. He was three for 16 in his prior seven games. Uh, makes eight free throws, gets seven rebounds, and um, was out there during some rough moments where they had to have something without Johnson, so he had to play and play well, and he did. So that helps them out a whole lot. Uh, final question, Chris, and we go. Um, people are going to devalue Iowa State now, aren't they? <laughs> like, Yeah, what's, well, I was going to say, what is their thing lately? I mean, they've, they've been going down, like downhill of yeah. late, but – uh, what do you, what did you say about what was your saying about the uh, the metrics and everything? It's not about what you've done lately, but what you've done over. You know, they, they don't care about the wins and yeah. losses or when they occurred. Mm-hmm. So that's this is the per, the perfect example for Iowa State because yeah, they have lost six of the last seven and eight of the last ten, four in a row, six of seven and eight of ten at home too. Mm-hmm. Man, unbelievable. So as of this morning, they are 26 in the net. They were 23 yesterday. The exact opposite West Virginia was 26 is 23. So it matters. They're above Iowa State right now, but still to win that game on the road, um, that's going to be significant for them too. Can't take it away. It did happen. Can't let it slip on Saturday. Kansas State won three in a row, got their act together, and they play Oklahoma before they play West Virginia. And I ran this, and I'm pretty sure this is accurate. West Virginia can finish 7th, 8th, ninth, or 10th still in the conference. Oh, so they can finish 7th? Hmm. If they win out, and because Oklahoma State lost last night, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's only a one-game one difference now. And if they beat Kansas State, uh, they'll go 1-1 one one against Kansas State. Oklahoma State will have been 0-2. Oh so there's your tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. All right, then. They're all going to be one-on-one against whoever finishes first, second, third, first half, or second, whatever. So a lot to play for, which means they probably should stay focused. They'll have the day off. They'll get some time to recover. Maybe they'll get like a regular practice in here, too. So we'll see. Anything else, Chris? No, that's it. Um, This – oh, no, it's not it. It's not it at all. I don't know why I'm saying that. Uh, I may be on vacation next week, but before I go, it's going to be a big weekend, so we'll have plenty of coverage while I'm gone of of non-basketball things. Big, big recruiting weekend this weekend. Uh, a lot of guys coming in for Saturday's basketball game. They'll probably get there like they usually do for junior days, um, you know, around lunchtime, uh, meet with the coaches, check everything out, go to the basketball game for a half, then come back, do photo shoot, all that stuff. And and I'm expecting uh, a couple dozen, you know, FBS caliber players on campus on Saturday for West Virginia, which will kick off the new evaluation period in recruiting. So are you going to have your spy in the Coliseum with his opera glasses and camera again? You're going to have to also find some millennials to help me search social media for answers on pictures. Yeah, we'll find some spies. All right. Big weekend coming up. We'll be back before then, before the end of the week, before West Virginia plays host to Kansas State and the regular season and maybe solidify a spot in the tournament. Until then, I'm Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then. 
It's the NFL offseason, but I'll pick six. Part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.